truthfully, it's really how do we do anything? You know, somehow a cup of tea is considered a Zen moment, but why not a meeting? Why not a deadline that I have to hit? It's all really a beautiful cup of tea. Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome again, Awareness Explorers. Great to have you here. And we have a guest explorer, somebody who I've followed for a long time and have great respect for. And you probably know Tammy Simon, the founder of Sounds True. But before we start asking Tammy some questions, I want to say hi to my trusty cohort, uh, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing really very, very well, uh, Jonathan. Thanks. I'm really psyched to have Tammy on, on our show. Yeah. And, you know, Tammy uh, has done so much and so many interesting things that hopefully we can ask enough questions to get a sense of the wisdom that this woman holds. Anyways, let me introduce uh, Tammy for the people who don't know her that well. She's the founder of Sounds True in 1985. Her mission has been to disseminate spiritual wisdom. She hosts a popular weekly podcast called Insights at the Edge where she interviews many of today's leading teachers. She uh, has edited programs such as The Self-Acceptance Project, Waking Up, The Dharma of Dogs, Darkness Before the Dawn, and she created the program Being True, What Matters Most in Work, Life, and Love. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of other things that she has created and edited. Uh, but let's welcome you to Awareness Explorers. Thanks for being here, Tammy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, there's so many things you've done, and you have a little bit of a different uh, experience than most people in that you've interviewed pretty much everybody, more people than Brian and I put together. Uh, you've really have your pulse on the on where spirituality has been and where it's going. And I'm wondering what you've seen changed in the last 20 years. Where, where's, what are the trends that are happening from your perspective? Sure. Well, when I first started Sounds True, it was in the mid-1980s, 36 years ago. And at that point in time, what was interesting to me was the mystical dimension of all of the wisdom traditions of the world. I was like, oh, that's the next wave. Let's understand personal revelation within the traditions, the mystics. Well, at this point in time, nobody's actually all that interested in the traditions. They really aren't. It's a DIY world, do it yourself. It's, it's all available. And I think the view is, Take what works for you, bring it inside, have a deep personal experience, make your own pastiche, make your own path, and you're good. So that's a very, very different world than I was in 35 years ago when I first started Sounds True. 
Of course, we've seen things like mindfulness and meditation, as well as yoga, truly become mainstream. So that's interesting too. That means that people are getting a taste of a life transforming practice. And then I think some serious questions are out and open, which is, does that taste leave you into, take you into a deeper path, a deeper exploration, or do you just kind of subsume that taste into a materialistic worldview with a stress reduction exercise that you've now incorporated into your life? So that's interesting too. That's a great question and and probably a problem because it's really easy to take these deep spiritual methods and traditions and just kind of turn them into making your daily life more comfortable. Is there a way around that? Well, there, there's a couple things. I think some people and fuddy-duddies, and I'm a little bit of a fuddy-duddy myself, could spend a lot of time criticizing that mainstreaming of spiritual traditions. One, I don't think that's very useful. I don't think it gets us anywhere. And secondly, I'm not sure it's really the point. I think the point, first of all, is for each one of us to be an endless well of realization. That's the point, for each one of us to do that. And if each one of us right now, you and me and Brian are doing that, then we're gifting other people with an infinite well of transformative possibilities. So that's one thing. Instead of looking out there, let's just focus in on ourselves. That's really powerful. Another thing is I have a lot of confidence in the human journey, in the human heart, in humans. And that when we get a taste of something, And let's just call it a taste of freedom. When we get that taste, it's like it lodges in us almost like a homing device of some kind. We'll always be brought back to it. We'll be brought back to it again and again and again. There's some part of us that's haunted, troubled by the deepest experiences we've ever touched if they're then missing from our everyday life. So I have a lot of confidence, actually, that people who are experimenting, getting these little tastes of this or that, that there'll be some gap that they'll fall into that will forever change them, that will make them want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think it's beholden on each of us to have that depth of a path available to people when they're interested. Yeah, yeah. Brian, I know you have a bunch of questions. Well, that's in this topic alone is, is is fascinating, and I think you touched upon this. Well, you actually delved into it in in your audiobook, being true, and when you talked about the five main aspects of being true, and the first one being there's actually only one of you, and in that you you also talked about how not to give your authority completely away to another person. And I imagine that's related to what you were just describing as, as, as a trend. Well, that teaching, which is to never give your authority away to anybody else, is something that I learned directly from Adyashanti in his book, The Way of Liberation, 
where he listed that very specifically as one of his insights. And I think that's a really, really, really important idea that we never give our authority away to anybody else. And how could we? Because they're not us. They're not us. There's only one of us. So they know what they know from their own experience. Now, somehow, and this is what's interesting, it's paradoxical. Somehow that's true. Never give your authority away. And we have so much to learn from other people who have traveled further into the deepest, darkest, voidest depths. They've gone further than we have, and we have so much to learn from them. So how can we hold both of those things at the same time? And I think we can hold both of those things at the same time. They're not contradictory. They're complementary, at least in my experience. Uh, that's been my experience uh, as well. I've learned so much from people. As a matter of fact, I first came across, sounds true, from the uh, multi-CD set of Adyashanti's True Meditation. And uh, which had wonderful meditations and uh, and and also great interview, and and yet at the same time, I really had to look inside and find the wisdom coming from there. It's not from out there to in here. It's actually already there on the inside. And I think you talk about that as well. Well, if you don't know it in your own experience, if you haven't touched it, if it's not real in your own experience, it's not really working in you. It's not really working on you. It's pretty thin. It's an idea. And what I've noticed is ideas haven't really changed me, but inner experiences, things that I've touched, things that I've known. That's why I said this taste, something that's more like a taste or a smell, something incontrovertible. That stuff really, in my experience, changes me. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, what, what would you say your practice is nowadays? Now, that's a gosh darn good question. Yeah. You know, I've been uh, working with a diamond approach teacher. So the diamond approach is a path taught by A.H. Almas, and I've been working one-on-one -on -one with a Diamond Approach teacher, and that's been incredibly helpful to me. Uh, I also continue to practice somatic meditation, so that's a body-based type of awareness practice that really at this point is kind of my ground, if you will. And what I mean by that is I'm always returning throughout the day to what is the state of my physical being? What's my breathing like? Is it silky and smooth or jagged and rough and chaotic? What's, what's the ocean like here with the breathing pattern? What kind of tension am I feeling in my body? Am I able to sit in the chair and feel a sense of gravity and sunkenness? or on my shoulders up to my ear. So throughout the entire day, and I would say that my primary form of spiritual practice is that I'm a very devoted karma yogi, meaning mm. I work a lot. I work a lot and I love working. It's a way that I give. It's the way that I give my heart. 
It's a way that I express creatively. It's a way that I challenge myself. It's a way that I pour myself out, really, for what I care the most about. So I work a lot, and it's important to me that I work in such a way that how I work is consonant and coherent and in alignment with the beautiful wisdom teachings that we're putting out at Sounds True. And I find that the body as a compass is my best way of checking on that. It shows me when I'm off, when I'm off kilter in some way, and then also how to come back. You had a lot of beautiful things to say there. And it seems like the somatic practices, which almost didn't exist 20 years ago, are now like the leading thing. You know, uh, everybody we talk to will mention that. And I found it interesting what you said about the karma yoga thing, being that Sounds True has been so successful and you've somehow managed to bring uh, your spiritual consciousness and practices into the culture that you've created. I'm wondering if you can say what that looks like in terms of, uh, I, you mentioned a little bit of like the body practices you use, but is there any other advice you might give to people who are trying to, quote, spiritualize their work environment or how they sure. approach work? Sure. Well, I think one of the things for me is, and you use this word, how, how we approach work. And truthfully, it's really how do we do anything? Really, how do we do anything? I mean, how do we, you know, somehow a cup of tea is considered a Zen moment, but why not a meeting? Why not a deadline that I have to hit? It's all really a beautiful cup of tea. So first of all, prioritizing for ourselves how, the how, how we do everything. And very early on, and this is when I was just, you know, I was 22 when I started Sounds True. Wow. I decided very clearly, and this was like an important guiding principle for me, and it still is today, that the means and the ends are the same thing. The means and the ends are the same thing. This idea of, you know, here's some end goal I'm going to reach. And even if I have to tromp on a bunch of people to get there, that's okay, because this is a good righteous goal. And when I get there, I can donate a bunch of money to a good cause. That never made sense to me. To me, what was important is something you could call it like walking a beauty path, or you could just call it something really simple, like enjoying my life and valuing the relationships that I have and creating good relationships every single day at work and leaving awake behind me that feels good when you reflect on the day. Like, did that feel good? Did that conversation feel good? So, you know, it's really, um, it's actually not very complicated. I think what has it seeming like the, it's some huge, big, strange cultural revolution or aspiration is that we had this idea that business is business. You know, when it comes to making money, that's business. You got to do, and that's the problem is that idea. The problem is buying into that, accepting that for even a quarter of a second. No, like, no, I completely reject that. I'm a person that's trying to create beauty in the world 
give these gifts, work with other people in doing so. We're creating a lot of value for other people. Therefore, there's value coming back to us. We're wise about our business model and the whole thing's in balance and feels good. And it doesn't have to be huge either. I think sometimes people let their ambition or worse, their greed push them into trying to do something that's at some huge scale instead of being like, oh, this is, you know, a garden feeding people in my neighborhood and enough money's coming in to feed me. Wow, we're good. That's true has really been, you could say, or, or organic garden that just keeps growing organically. Mm-hmm. Was it well, difficult? It makes the- so much sense. And it sounds, well, like almost obvious in a human way. And yet so few people and so few companies seem to be able to do it. Uh, Yeah. And I think, I think some of that is, as I said, we have bought into cultural myths. We've bought into conventional ideas about business, about the kind of lifestyle we need to have, things like that. And, you know, I think something about my own life story that I've, you know, been reflecting on as I've been being interviewed more and more and also sounds true created a program called the inner MBA, where we're teaching people the inner wisdom skills of business. And I've been getting a lot of questions from participants about my own life story and experience. And I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on is that from an early age, I couldn't be a conventional person. I couldn't, it wasn't even a choice. You know, I no, I I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I think some of it is, you know, from an early age, I discovered I was attracted to uh, kissing little girls as well as kissing little boys. That put me in a category that was different. Then I discovered that my brain didn't really function like the brains of people in academia. I wasn't drawn to the same kind of analysis, the same kind of learning, the same kind of abstract ideas about other people's abstract ideas. I found it hollow, didn't work for me. I was like, oh my God, I always thought I would be like a professor of religious studies or something like that. I love learning so much. And here I am dropping out of college. Mm -hmm. I couldn't fit that way. And then later, even as I was starting to find my own way in business, I discovered I have so many deep spiritual ideas and heartful devotions that mean the most to me. And I'm not going to be one person out there in public in the world and uh, hide out what I really care the most about, which is really a, a kind of indomitable love of God. I'm not going to keep that away hidden. I'm going to come out of the closet as a, a super devoted spiritual human while I run this company and let people figure it out, let them work it out. I don't need to work it out. I just need to be myself. So anyway, I think that's part of my own story was that I couldn't be conventional. And so I clearly couldn't buy into conventional views of business. Nothing else about the conventional world had worked for me. And quite honestly, when I looked around, I thought, uh, you know, I think this whole conventional world's kind of making a mess out of things. If you ask me, looking at uh, uh, homeless people and war and climate change, I'm like, it's not working. Let's try something different. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Did it take a while to sort of come to that when you first started? For example, um, in your book, The Self-Acceptance Project, you talked about striving to be perfect and avoiding failure at all costs. And yet here you are running, uh, you know, a, a big organization, a big company. Did you have to um, really work that out? Uh, you know, because any person, any high achieving person running a company has a degree of perfectionism, which can either be positive or it can be a hindrance. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, Brian. I've been on a lifelong journey to absolutely deeply know my worth as a cosmic being and to experience that sense of pure, unsullied worth, no matter what happens on the outside, no matter what conversation I host that goes a little sideways, uh, what answer I might give to one of your questions today that later I'd be like, really? You could have said that so much better. Really, Tammy? So I've been on a lifelong journey. Now, the interesting thing is that I have made so much progress. I've grown so much in this regard, so much. And I think I've taken everything I've learned from the different teachers at Sounds True, as well as my own therapy work, as well as the center of my life, which is a beautiful 20-year relationship with Julie Marie Kramer that's there as this source of renewing love and belonging and connection that I can always return to. And before we started, we started talking about dogs and the deep love I have for the animals in my life mm -hmm. and how they, they adore me and they don't adore me because of anything I accomplish in the outer world. They just adore me as I adore them and nothing can can touch that. So it's just interesting that for my whole adult journey, I think I've repaired an initial early kind of break in connection that I had in my family situation and have come now to see that it's possible to really feel like we belong to the human race. I belong to the human race. I belong in my body. I belong with the two of you right now. I belong as a cultural contributor through the work that I do at Sounds True. And so it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge, huge journey. And I feel so grateful for all the teachings and fellow journeyers that have helped me. That is so inspiring. And the amazing thing about it is that it, it, I almost felt like I was saying the exact same thing as you were saying that. I mean, you know, I could say, I could have almost said that verbatim, that journey, that struggle, that, that self-acceptance, that, um, the, the, the deepening over time, all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mentioned before we started that I uh, did a book called The Experience of God, where I interviewed back in 1995, you know, 50 spiritual leaders. And um, I really enjoyed your program, Waking Up, because it was kind of like a, 
a modern version of that book in audio. And people would ask me, you know, what was it like talking to Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama or various people I interviewed? And they'd say, what did you learn from all those interviews? And of course, it's impossible to summarize what you learn from talking to 50 spiritual leaders. Uh, but I would try. And I've always wanted to ask somebody in a similar position uh, who has interviewed uh, a lot of spiritual leaders, what do you get from, from an overview of just being aware of so many traditions and having talked personally to so many people? What impressions did it leave you with that uh, perhaps lasted uh, and you can remember from, from that experience? Sure. Well, I'm going to answer that in, in two ways. First, I'd like to speak specifically about the Waking Up series. So that was an interview series with 23 different spiritual teachers and poets and also neuroscientists, people who in their own life and teaching had written or spoken about spiritual awakening. And I went at it with this question, what is spiritual awakening? We talk about it. And are we even talking about the same thing when we talk to two, three, four, 23 different people? Are we even talking about the same thing? And what I discovered in interviewing 23 people is we're not talking about the same thing. And that is a really important insight to have. So when you talk to somebody about spiritual awakening, that specifically, it's really important to find out what they mean by that. What is their experience? What did they wake up from? What did they wake up to? What is abiding in their experience that's changed? And what in them hasn't changed? And so it, it gave me this great appreciation, especially when it comes to this whole area of being a spiritual explorer, or an awareness explorer of wanting to get in there with people and really understand their unique experience before coming up with any ideas that it even maps on to the words I'm using for experiences. So that's one thing about waking up in particular. And then in terms of, you know, now I, I host, I don't know, two, three, four conversations a week at this point in various aspects of Sounds True. And what I always try is to come away with something. I don't have to come up with 10 new ideas because I can't remember 10 and I can't put 10 into action in my life anyway. But is there a moment? Is there a moment in the conversation where something in me said, huh, that's really useful. That is really useful. And I felt touched by it. And then I just feel satisfied by that. It's almost like I, it's almost like going to a grand buffet, but knowing you can only eat so much. And so that's, that's more the approach I take. What's the takeaway here for me from this conversation? Wow. That's uh that's kind of how I feel as well. And you, you say it better than I say it. So thank you for that. Uh, but I'm reminded, um, the first time I was on the Oprah show, she was taking a question from the book, which was, do you believe in God? And she asked the audience, and this woman said, absolutely not. And Oprah said to her, well, do you believe in a force of love in the universe? And she said, of course. And then the, Oprah said, well, do you believe that force of love is like intelligent and we're connected to it? And she said, well, of course. 
And then Oprah said, but you don't believe in God. And she said, absolutely not. And she said, Oprah said then, well, that's really interesting because that was my definition of God. So we need to ask each other questions because we might be talking about the same thing or a different thing and not even know about it. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. But in the, in your, in the waking up program, I did find that, you know, uh, I think Jack Cornfield said there's like, there's this big jewel in front of us and we're all looking at it from different angles and you can get a lot from picking up like, Oh, that's an angle I hadn't actually seen before. And now that you describe it, it's opening up to me. Yeah. And I think what I always try to do, this would be another thing when I'm interviewing somebody is understand their facet of the diamond. Yeah. I'm not trying, first of all, I'm not trying to get them to understand something that's going on for me. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to like get into their experience and really see the wisdom that they have and not compare it to another facet or another facet or another facet and expect it all to kind of fit together perfectly in some logical way, because then I can't appreciate what they're bringing forward. So I just want to appreciate it on its own terms. And, you know, one phrase that was introduced to me by a Native American storyteller was explanatory pluralism, that the same something could be explained in many, many, many different ways. And I noticed I just naturally embraced that. So even if we're talking about something like knowing your own worth, such an important idea, the path to that could be explained in 20 different ways by 20 different people, and they would each have validity in, in their own terms, merit on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brian, what are you well, thinking? I'm thinking about, I'm, again, I'm, I'm going back to um, being true and the five aspects of being true. And because on this show, we talk about awareness and shifting attention to the background of awareness. And in, in, your, in the second and third uh, main aspects, one was we jump into darkness. And the other was our true, authentic life comes from open space. And I was wondering if, if, if you could um, help our listeners understand what, what that means. Where, where do you go to find truth? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Brian, because I'm going to tell you a story here. So Being True is a four-session audio program I recorded. And I decided to do it because it felt time, felt time for me to make a recording of what I'd learned to date in my life. Okay. Few days before I had scheduled with our studio to record that, I was like, what exactly am I going to talk about? <laughs> I kid you not. I was like, I better come up with an outline for this. And I was like, gosh, I don't really know. I mean, I had some ideas that I wanted to talk about the story of how I found Sounds True. And then I wanted to talk about how we organize our workplace. And I knew I wanted to talk about some of the biggest spiritual lessons I'd learned and that I wanted to talk about love and relationships, because to me, that's where I've had the most healing in my life. So I understood those four big topics. 
But when it came to kind of what is being true and what do I mean by that? And how do we actually live in alignment with our heart? I was like, I don't really know. And then I just went inside and I actually did the process that you're describing now as this five-step being true process. And it's interesting because whenever you or anyone else talks to me about the five-step being true process, the first thing I think is, what did I say on that recording? And is it five steps? Is it two steps? Is it nine steps? It's not solid like that for me in my mind, just to share it, just to say that for a moment. It's more this kind of thing that what's true, what is wanting to emerge, what is the directionality, the imperative of this moment lives right here. Like I know that. I know that because I think of us as this alive you know, I talked about sounds true as an organic garden. And I just think all it's like, we are these alive, growing beings coming in more and more to flowering and unfolding. So it's here. And I want to unfold in a way that is in alignment. Okay, so there you go. It's here. So the first thing is this kind of willingness to drop everything I know, because it's not going to be found in the known, it's going to be found in this new emerging. And that's what I mean then by going into the darkness, the darkness really as a, a metaphor for dropping every reference point, everything I've thought to get to this moment in time, all of my past, everything, just drop the whole thing. And that to me feels like black space. That's what it feels like to me often. It feels like endless space. Mm -hmm just endless space. And that's just my own kind of inner, like what some people might experience it as endless silence or, but for me, I, I experience this kind of boundless space where there are no edges. There's just no edges there. I can't find a reference point. And then this interesting thing happens. Sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes it takes a little while, but something emerges that's intelligent. Oh, good idea. That makes sense. And it feels right. Mm -hmm. It has this feeling to it of kind of natural intelligence, natural rightness, positivity. I don't know how else to, to explain it. This is going to be good. Feels good. And then, and this is kind of the, the hardest part of being true. It's following through on it, following through on it. And saying the thing you need to say, writing the thing you need to write, taking the action that, you know, so that's it. So that's, and it's this ongoing process. But for me, it always involves kind of letting something new emerge from endless space. I really resonate with that. And you describe it really well. And I think it's kind of up to every individual to find out their way of doing that. And there's different ways yep. of doing that. For sure. For sure. And that's why it's almost like I, I don't want to turn it into some kind of recipe yeah. because this is the point. We're not cakes being baked by a recipe. We are these unprecedented, which means we've never been here before. This moment in time has never been here before. So we can't follow a recipe, which is something from the past. We have to let ourselves be these unprecedented unfoldings that are somehow responding 
to our karma, to our genetic material, to our life situation, to the situation around us, to what the people around us need, etc. So we're in this one of a kind situation, being sensitive and ultimately responsive. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I've never asked this question to an explorer on the on the podcast, but I think you're the appropriate person to ask. You know, there's so much turmoil in the world, uh, polarization, the culture's going crazy, blah blah blah, and yet there's this. Uh, awakening happening in terms of access to all the teachings what do you think is going to happen in the next few years and and what advice would you have for people trying to be sane in this crazy world well i mean in terms of the first part what's going to happen in the next few years that's way above my pay grade so there's there's no way i could answer that question i truly don't know Truly, like I, I mean, I didn't see the pandemic coming. Some people have said, "Oh, I saw it coming." You know, I didn't. I didn't. So uh, I can't answer that question with any kind of um, uh, reliability. In terms of what we can each do to stay sane in a world that clearly there's a, a lot of insanity and challenges to our sanity every day. Oh, there's a lot we can each do a lot. And actually we have to do those things and we have to do them every day. Every day we have to be in our bodies and seeing what do I need? Because if we're not sane, if we're not in a good place, if we're not connected to what's flowing through our hearts and our gifts, if we're not exchanging with people in a way that is connected and hopefully lifting them up, then we're actually part of the insanity. Mm -hmm. And that's a no in my world. That's a no go. We have to be the medicine that the universe has put us in a position to be having a conversation like this. How lucky are we? How lucky are the three of us right now to be sitting here enjoying each other and exploring really some pretty esoteric ideas uh, with each other in such a, we're so lucky. So we have a huge debt in my view to other people yeah. to be a living medicine. And the only way you're a living medicine is if you're taking really good care, really good care of your body, of your nervous system, of your relationships, of to the best of your ability, your family and community and going out from there. So focus on it and do what makes you sane. It's like mm -hmm. putting your oxygen mask on first and then helping your family put theirs on, in a sense. Also, another, you know, just to respond with another quote from you, it's about taking that step and then seeing what the world gives back, which that, I thought yeah. was really profound and wonderful. Well, I think part of it is this, once you get this moment, and I do think that uh, this is part of the journey of becoming more sensitive and more attuned, is that there's this feeling, the world is alive. You start feeling it, you know? You can start feeling the microphone, the rug here, the trees, out, everything. Everything is brimming with intelligence and feedback. 
We're getting messages all the time that we can navigate in dialogue with. It's not like we're this carved out part of the world figuring out, literally that phrase figuring out. We're not like figuring ourselves out and then on some like project, like this is the this is the Tammy Simon project that I've figured out. Like, no, it's not like that. It's a bubbling over conversation symphony with life that's unfolding that we're sensitive to and going with where it's natural to go, where it feels good to go, where we're welcome, where the flow is happening. Yeah, I call it the the cosmic hot and cold game. Uh, the universe is there's happiness somewhere and we're getting the messages. The universe is shouting, you're getting warmer or colder all the time. And we just have to listen. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you with the hot and cold. The one thing I might say a little bit differently, if that's okay, is it's mm-hmm. not so, I wouldn't be, I'm not personally that focused on quote unquote happiness, mm-hmm. but I am personally, but uh, I am focused on kind of my soul's alignment mm-hmm. and soul's expression and kind of the truthfulness of who I am in the world and that path that's true. And I do think that is a kind of hot and cold game. And the only reason I say that about happiness is that sometimes I've found in my experience that being true hurts a whole hell of a lot, but I have to go through it. I have to go through it because it's what's mine to feel at the moment. It's the thing I've been avoiding. And I just have to do it because it's the actual truth of what's presenting itself. I'm glad you said that uh, because that's actually more accurate to how I think. And I've been saying it this old way, and I'm hoping I can steal your way of saying it. And uh, <laughs> it's all up for it's all up for grabs. No stealing needed. Great, great. Um, we want to make sure you have time to do a guided meditation, but uh, Brian, do you have any last questions? Well, it just reminds me this past, this last uh, discussion reminds me of when you were talking about depression uh, in in your book. Uh, In Darkness Before Dawn, you talk about depression and you say there are many different forms of depression and you interview a lot of people about depression. But I was wondering if this rings true for you because I went through a great deal of depression. And when I realized that depression wasn't its own separate emotion, like sadness or anger, but it was a strategy I was using to not have the emotions, and that the path through it, as you mentioned before, is really to openly have your feeling, to meet what's going on. And I was wondering if that rings true for you. Yeah. Well, I think the whole notion of not turning away not turning away from what is in our experience, but is difficult. So whether that's not avoiding the void, because a lot of people think the void, no, I can't, don't get me near that big black empty space. Don't go there. And then actually when we go there, when we go there, we can find if we go through it all the way, through all the way, we can find this expanse, this endless expanse, and a sense actually of energy and empowerment, this thing we've been avoiding. So I think I think that is um, on point. 
And, you know, interesting, Brian, I myself um, have never suffered from depression, but an interesting thing happened to me in creating and editing all of the interviews that became Darkness Before Dawn, which is I found as I talked to each person about their experience with depression and what they learned from it. At the end of each interview, I never felt so light and free and happy. And I thought what's happened is in our culture, depression has been exiled and has been turned into uh, something we medicate away. And that when it was brought forward and normalized in the conversation and talked about as a passage that people go through in order for something to become a righted in their experience, when it was discussed in that way and the lessons were shared, oh my God, I was like walking on cloud nine. And I think it goes to your point of not exiling the painful experiences we have, but normalizing them and bringing them forward and talking about them and learning from them and letting them give us energy. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's so valuable for our, our listeners. Thank you so much. Really appreciate how eloquent you are, Tammy. I haven't heard you talk at length in spontaneously, and, and it's um, uh, somehow you managed to take all this wisdom and be able to speak about it in a way that's both poetic and practical. I really appreciate that. Um, poetic and practical. All yeah, right. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You too, Jonathan. The way you just the way you just said that sentence was also poetical and practical. Sometimes I get it right. Anyways, want to uh, make sure you have time. I, I asked you at the beginning if uh, you might do a guided meditation, and uh, sure. we like to have our listeners uh, go. You know, on our website, awarenessexplorers.com, there's now access to like sixty or seventy guided meditations from various experts and. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say in that regard. All right, let's do it. So we can feel, you guessed it, our body. So we'll feel our sits bones on the chair. And if your feet are on the ground, feel the bottom of your feet touching the ground. And as you breathe in, you can breathe in from below. So you're breathing in to what we could consider the open perineal gateway. So down where your perineum is, breathe in from below you as if there is a fountain of energy coming up from the earth below you, up through the perineal gateway into your body. So it's a nice, rich inhale into your body from below. And then the exhale, you just let yourself sink a bit in your chair and let gravity bring you down. And this time on the inhale, the stream of energy coming from below, let it enter at this perineal gateway and come in in front of the spine. And come all the way up in front of the spine, all the way up to the top of your head where your sutures come together top of the head and imagine there's an invisible string pulling up the back of your head at the top of your inhale. And you'll see that your spine elongates a bit. You naturally have 
two, three, four more inches of length, it feels like, in your spine. Top of the inhale, there's a tug up on that string. Chin might come down a little bit. And then on the exhale, you just let go again, and you can even sigh if you want, if it's natural, just letting everything go. And now we're gonna connect this invisible line of energy. Imagine it starts all the way at the center of the earth below you. And it's a stream, a river, a flow of energy. It comes all the way from this imaginary point in the center of the earth and it flows up through the open gate of your perineum in front of the spine and it flows up, up, up in front of your spine and then out the top of your head, all the way up into the space above your head. And it's like a fountain that flows out through the top of your head. It just comes down around you. Almost like you were a human animal who had a spout at the top of your head. And in fact, we do kind of have a spout. So again, let's breathe from that point in the center of the earth and enjoy your inhale, relish it, make it deep and long, breathing in beautifully, enjoyed inhale all the way up in front of the spine. This is the central channel of the body, this flow of energy in front of the spine. Let it flow up your spine, back of the neck, back of the head, to that point where the sutures come together and then the flow of energy comes out, your human spout, and then like a fountain, it just comes down all around you, glistening. And if you want, you can open your palms. It's a very open posture of receiving life force from deep below, letting it flow into us and nourish us, letting it flow in front of the spine. Letting ourselves be an instrument to be created through, expressed through. So let's take two more breaths like this. Deep below, really enjoying the inhale. Ah, and then the exhale. See how much you can let go, any debris, anything you want to let go. Just let the exhale take it away. Take it away from you. Compost it back into the earth. And then one more full inhalation like that.
And then you can just open your eyes and we can be together. I love that. That was, uh, that was, uh, you introduced me to a new word, perennial, per, per, perennial, how do you say it? The perennial gateway. Perennial gateway. Um, that was a, a real uh, revelation for me because normally I bring up energy through my legs, but there's something to that that felt really right and natural and the fountain. That was wonderful. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, me too. I felt I feel like a hundred times more alive after that. Also, I had this crazy image. I felt like one of those, you know, those inflatable figures outside of stores with the air moving up and the hands are waving in the air. All right, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great thing to do in the middle of your day. We're all on Zoom nowadays with email and meetings and such, and uh, being able to be in our bodies in this moment is a great blessing just relaxing into beingness. Yeah. And tapping into a natural upflow mm -hmm. that's always occurring. And I think so often we're living kind of from, you know, the, the brow up, unfortunately. And we're sourcing also our inspiration from up, 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 everything's up. And we forget the power and the possibility when we let ourselves start from below and let that come in and inform us. There's an earthiness that's available, I think, from that kind of breathing. Yeah, we could all use more connection to something other than our head. Exactly. <laughs> well, this has been a real inspiration. Um, I, obviously, people can go to soundstrue.com to get stuff Is there and insights at the edge. How do people... It's all there at soundstrue.com. It's all okay. there. We welcome you, oh, awareness explorers. Come to our world and explore. I'm sure many of them are. And uh, if you want to support awareness explorers, we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash awareness explorers. And um, tell your friends. And if you like that meditation that Tammy did, uh, do it. Uh, I think that's a real game changer to take, you know, five, seven minutes out of your day and and really connect with the earth and that upflow of energy. And um, it's been a real honor and and I got some great stuff. And uh, any last words, Brian? This has been really fun, inspiring, informative, and um, enjoyable. And poetic. So, and, po and poetic and practical. Right, exactly. So I'm just very, very grateful, Tammy. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Until next time, friends, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.